Shut up and sit down. No matter what anybody tells you, words and ideas can change the world. A guy like me should never be allowed to get in here in the first place. I know that. Either I'm dead right or I'm crazy. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. There's only one person in the world who decides what I'm going to do, and that's me. Louis, I think this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. Good to be the king. Welcome to another episode of The Kevin King Show. Today, I'm very excited to have on a good friend of mine, Stephen Kent, who has done a lot of work in a kind of millennial advocacy nonprofit groups, uh, does some awesome work now with a group called uh, Young Voices, which I've had the pleasure of reading many of their articles talking about a lot of the issues that are affecting people you know, under the baby boomer generation, uh, and also has a, a really rock star podcast called Beltway Banthas that talks about Star Wars and politics and everything of that nature. So uh, welcome, Stephen. Hey, power to the millennials. Thanks for having me on, Kevin. <laughs> I'm uh, gl- glad to have you, sir. How is the, uh, how's the Beltway treating you? Uh, the Beltway is treating me about as good as it does anybody. Um, they wonder where all their money went uh, because of all the high taxes, really expensive beer, uh, and the bizarre weather. But uh, I'm enjoying it nonetheless. You know, it's a it's a weird dream to live in this area. So here we are. I bet. Do you avoid the uh, the public transportation that often catches on fire and? things Ooh, like that. I wish I could avoid it. I My last job was in Arlington across the Potomac, and so I didn't have to take the metro, but now I work in North DC. And so I have to take the green and yellow every day, and it is scary every time. <laughs> well, we'll power to you here. Uh, your, your your friends and family back in North Carolina will appreciate the uh, the lack of traffic on your behalf. Oh yeah, they y'all y'all must really enjoy it down there. I miss I miss Raleigh, North Carolina every day. I miss just like taking five minutes to get to uh, to work, but you know, change happens. It, it it does indeed. Well, we'll jump right into it. Um, like like I said, your your specialty. Well, I say one of your specialties is uh, is politics and Star Wars, and that's something that I find very interesting. And I've done a little bit of the readings that you suggested, but um, maybe perhaps the best way to start is is what is your sort of elevator pitch on how you say that the Star Wars movie universe uh, is reflective or predictive of our own political environment. Sure. Well, I'll give you um, the the twenty story building uh, version of the elevator pitch. Um, you know, Star Wars has been and will always be political. It was sort of the vision of George Lucas um, to make a series that, in many ways, is an allegory for our own world. He didn't just you know make a a space opera out of thin air. He was pulling from ideas and inspirations of things that he was concerned by in the news. The original Star Wars movies um, were sort of made in an environment of deep skepticism about the. Nixon administration, uh, the post-Watergate era, and a nation sort of ravaged by um, a war abroad in Vietnam that nobody particularly cared for. Um, it was viewed as an escape of the of those times. You know, people went to the movie theaters in 1977 to try to um, blast off into another galaxy. But you know, George Lucas had written this thing to feel familiar um, in, in an almost uncomfortable way. And only in the most recent decades, since the prequel trilogy, episodes one, two, and three, have we really started being aware of and talking more about the politics of those movies as George Lucas saw it. So I think the biggest thing that I struggle with when when looking at 
Star Wars is politics is sort of how I don't want to say perfect, and maybe you can c- completely correct me on this, but I think that you know obviously we're rooting for the underdog. We're we're immediately saying that we're on the side uh, from from when a new hope begins. We're on the side of of Luke and Leia and Han. And do, do you really see them as the ones being oppressed by America? Say the the Vietnamese, for instance. Yeah. So first of all, what I want to say is that George Lucas is a progressive uh, Democrat. And so right off the bat, I, I would want to qualify it by saying that his worldview, I think, is a little twisted and, and strange. And sometimes it makes me uncomfortable when I'm trying to like you know talk about you know what are the politics of Star Wars, because I think George Lucas has a very distorted and wrong worldview, but it doesn't change, you know, kind of the facts of the saga. So, you know, in the original trilogy, uh, what he has described the Rebel Alliance as being is, you know, sort of the hippies of a galaxy far, far away. Um, they are oppressed by a, a tyrannical um, and, and oversized government, um, which, which you know, is part of every everybody's everyday lives. Um, and what you saw in relation to the Vietnamese was not until Return of the Jedi, where he really built the Ewoks, um, you know, the most beloved Ewoks, as being sort of like a, a an indigenous peoples standing up against a, a foreign and and largely like steel and armored force. So that's relatively true, you know. So you have like the Viet Cong um, fighting a more well-equipped um, invading force uh, as they saw. Uh, in the United States in the Vietnam War, and as someone who was against that war, he he tended to um, sympathize and feel more with the the Viet Cong, and and sort of as a progressive himself, I think with the general um, socialist ideology um, of that of, of that side. So it's it's kind of weird and twisted. But the Rebel Alliance are not so much supposed to be billed as the Viet Cong, as they're just supposed to be the counterculture of a galaxy far, far away. Well, and that's something that that I think shows through, and I relate this to what I call kind of the Aaron Sorkin principle. Uh, if you've ever watched The West Wing or Newsroom or, or one of his shows, and you see this sort of idealistic version of how politics should be, and you get this, uh, you know, this perfect Democrat character. You have President Bartlett, who is kind of the perfect Democrat, without yeah. applying sort of the, the the innate flaws. And so, what I see in this is is really. What is true hippieism fighting against statism, where you have the empire is 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 the state, and the rebel alliance are, are people who believe in true freedom, which is what I think that a progressive, you know, thinks they believe in, but without going to that socialistic nature. I mean, that is one. That is one hundred percent. Like I mean, that's spot on. You know, in many ways, you know, we share the same values at our core. Uh, classic liberalism, um, the idea that you know there is no bigger threat to people's liberty than a government that has the ability to say no to things. I mean, again, like a liberal of the nineteen sixties and seventies, in many ways, if they stayed consistent, would be aligned with the libertarians um, and classical liberals of today. They're skeptical of a government that you know. It keeps rights away from people, keeps people out of the the voting booths, for gosh sakes. You know, like it, it's kind of gotten a little bit twisted where modern day progressives claim the mantle to Star Wars because George Lucas um, is one of their own. But again, these movies were made in a different time where the political spectrum um, is not what it is today. You have folks, you know, on the left today claiming Star Wars as sort of like this weird, like, 
um, you know, like the original movies had like a strong message about uh, inclusion um, and ending, you know, like Jim Crow laws in the South because, you know, droids or something were second class citizens and were not allowed to come in to cantinas and that, you know, Star Wars was also the, the presence of aliens was a statement on multiculturalism. And that's just not true. The presence of aliens was because it's a space opera and that's the way that it was made. Today, Star Wars is incredibly multicultural when it comes to ethnicity, but Star Wars, you know, as a multicultural melting pot um, statement in the 70s is just is just false. And it's just sort of been a, a rewriting of history by the left. Well, and that that is something that I've really had a question on for some time is I, I really scratch my head and go, where are the hippies? I look back to when uh, my friends and I were, were having a rally against Obamacare back on, on our college campus in around 2008, 2009. And, and someone brought up and said, if this was 1960s, every, every liberal progressive would be out here protesting with you saying that the government does not have a right to control my body. And now that is sort of flipped. And so that's where I'm wondering is how do people make the leap where you have George Lucas now, who is obviously a very progressive Democrat, would not support Trump, not that Trump is conservative. We won't get into that. But what you know is definitely a Hillary or or more likely a Bernie supporter while while still espousing the things that we believe as classical liberals. Well, you know, everybody believes that they're the good guys in their own story. And you know, it's not it's not outlandish um, to believe that, you know, someone like George Lucas is just as human as the rest of us and is able to put blinders on when it comes to partisan loyalties and, and his tribal affiliations. Um, you know, the message of Star Wars is so, so simple, um, but still we manage to forget and obscure it so that we can feel comfortable in our own political camp. Um, it's not a movie, particularly the prequels is what I'm about to reference. It's not a movie about fashion or socialism, it's very simple. It is about big government versus its people. And big government can take all sorts of ideological forms. Um, Emperor Palpatine or Chancellor Palpatine uh, was a likable guy. He was popular. The people loved him. And they, they awarded him with the role um, of emperor. And that is something that can apply to anyone. That can be Bernie Sanders. That can be Donald Trump. That can be Barack Obama or Bush. Um, the whole message of these movies was that uh, liberty dies with thunderous applause. And that means that people are going to go along with with you know, a popular leader who's going to lead them into tyranny. And then we just sort of pretend that it's always the our, our political foes and not some of the people who maybe we like. Oh, absolutely. And I think that power is a big is a big element that people kind of shy away from because they want power for their own purpose. I mean, you see that with that's why we have such a big two party system and not a lot gets done is that they're always fighting over who is going to be able to, to, to control the microphone, so to speak. And so what do you say when you're talking about the power struggle in, uh, in Star Wars? Do you think if the Jedi completely destroyed the Empire that they would relinquish their power? Do you think that you would have so, – so do you think the socialistic uh, agenda could actually manifest? Well, I don't I don't really know, I guess. I mean, we've never really had a clear vision of, you know, you mentioned the Jedi versus the Empire. So the Empire destroyed the Jedi. So I'm I'm kind of thinking like the Rebel Alliance, you know, like and they destroy the Empire. Um 
and they want to restore the Old Republic. That is what the Rebel Alliance and Mon Mothma made clear in the old movies. The only thing that we know about their ideology is that they want to restore the Republic. But the prequel movies gave us a Republic that was deeply um, corrupt. Um, it was sort of capitalist, capitalistic to to the negative extent. I mean, it, it was deeply cronyist. Uh, you know, companies in the Old Republic had representatives in in the voting body, you know, like the Trade Federation and the banking clan, for instance. Um, they were treated as people, right? And that was a, a statement of George Lucas that he he was, you know, in, deeply against corporations. And it's kind of funny he ended up selling his movies to Disney in that way. Um, but he was he was skeptical of a of a democracy um, run by companies and moneyed interest. And so in the prequels he sort of made that statement. And then in the old movies, which came out 30 years before for that, his statement um, in the, in those movies was that we're going to return to the old republic, um, and the old republic he then paints as something that was pretty awful. So it's very much unclear what the Rebel Alliance is pushing for besides a free society, and we're all able to paint ourselves into what a free society means. Well, that makes a lot of sense, and and I thank you for the correction on the on the Rebel Alliance. I, I see where you're getting at. I'm not. Uh, and I, I will admit to playing with a lot of Star Wars toy, toys as a child, but uh, <laughs> I, I, I'm not to your to your level of understanding. So, with um, so so with this sort of struggle, I, I say, do we see in Star Wars what almost I feel like we're seeing today, where yes, capitalism has its flaws, and you end up with cronyism, and you see that even more so when you let cronyism into government, and almost that. Star Wars should be really a cautionary tale of what happens when government is allowed to accumulate so much power that it does go from corporate cronyism to a sheer uh, empire and dictatorship. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's again like these movies are incredibly universal, and it's it's always kind of bizarre to me where we fall into these weird tribal affiliations over these movies where you know. Republicans, you know, kind of like got all defensive or whatever about the prequels because there were companies represented in the Senate. But if you asked any Republican voter, particularly people who voted for Donald Trump, um, they will not, they will tell you that Citizens United is not good for the country. People do not support corporatism. Um, and so George Lucas taps into this very populist idea um, that, you know, lobbyists uh, are out of control, that moneyed interests on Capitol Hill are, are you know, getting in the way of actual freedom and representation. This is what normal Americans believe in. And it's only when we sort of feel like we're being attacked by Hollywood filmmakers that we sort of fall into these weird camps where we defend stuff that we don't actually believe in. Um, the old Republic in Star Wars is nothing to hold up on a pedestal at all. Um, but, you know, for, for all intents and purposes, it was free and the inner worlds of the galaxy were very prosperous. And it's, it's kind of interesting when you look at how much Star Wars and the real world align, the way the galaxy is structured, uh, the inner core worlds, sort of like, you know, like your worlds closer to the sun, um, all do very well economically in the older public because of, um, you know, free trade and companies that have such an active role in the galaxy. But it's people on the outer rim of the galaxy, folks who are further away from those core worlds that really suffer and don't receive any services. And they're really just um, taxed out of out of prosperity. And, you know, we sort of see that same dynamic in our own country, where we sort of think about the East Coast prosperity in the middle of the country stagnation. Um, you know, 
our, our free market ideas and capitalism does not always benefit everybody, but it benefits more people than it does less. Um, so it's just it's a, something to think about when Star Wars um, is trying to drag you in different directions in terms of its politics. It's it's very twisted. Okay, well let me uh, let me move on to the to the I guess would new trilogy be the proper terminology for the yeah the I guess I guess we call it in. yeah I guess we call it the sequel trilogy it's uh, <laughs> it's all so wacky and I've I've, I've heard I, I I don't want to go off are, are they already planning the next trilogy as well. So they are planning the next trilogy, um, but it is going to be separate from the Skywalker story. So, you know, this entire, you know, since 1977, we've been getting the Skywalker saga, which was, you know, Luke Skywalker's story in 77 to 83. Then the story of Anakin Skywalker becomes Darth Vader in 1999 to 2005. And now we have the, pr- the sequel trilogy, uh, 2015 to 2019. Um, and that covers the end of the Skywalker story. So finding out what happens with Leia, Leia Skywalker uh, and Luke Skywalker. And then after these movies end in 2019, um, there will be a new trilogy, but it's going to be completely original. It's not going to be connected to this past story that we've been you know, following for 40 years. Okay. Well, that's uh, definitely is a little overwhelming that there's just going to be even more coming. Um, oh, it's so never going to stop. Especially with Disney behind the helm. They will just never. keep it going. Uh, between that and the Marvel Universe, I may never see this the the, the light of day in about ten years. I'm not mm. sure. Um, with with the sequel trilogy, um, I did see the Force Awakens. I have not seen the one that is out now, so we won't spoil spoil any of that. But I will say personally, I think I was a little disappointed that the Force Awakens seemed like a complete reboot of A New Hope. First of all, what would you say to that? Am I am I completely off? Did I miss the bigger picture? So you're not you're not completely off. I I get some of these these criticisms and gripes about the Force Awakens um, a lot. You know there are some very significant beats um, that are sort of played out again um, in the Force Awakens that feel familiar if you watch the original Star Wars movies. Um, the case that I have made, which I think is a little bit more spot on, is that the Force Awakens actually took beats from all of the three original trilogy movies in Act 1, 2, and 3. And they did that in a way so that The Force Awakens felt familiar and like a return to normalcy in Star Wars, because if you'll recall, the prequel trilogy was not particularly popular among fans. They felt like it was um, like it was done poorly. And so this movie, I think, was done to buy back the loyalty of fans uh, into the new trilogy. So act one, you have the uh, introduction of a hero on a desert planet who is going to try to get away from that planet um, and then you know find find their new destiny. In act two, you have um, a high profile sort of uh, finding of a friend you know who's going to help the hero. Uh, in Empire Strikes Back, that was Lando Calrissian. Um, and then in The Force Awakens, that was Maz Kanata. And then your hero gets uh, kidnapped by the villains. And, and again, that was Han Solo by Boba Fett. And then it was Rey by Kylo Ren. And then in Act 3, you had the destruction of a super weapon, which happened um, in A New Hope Episode 4 and in Return of the Jedi Episode 6. But what was different about what happened uh, in in The Force Awakens was that Han Solo was on the ground to lay charges to blow up the defensive uh, mechanisms for that base, which did not happen in Episode 4. 
That's what happened in episode six. So yes, it was kind of like an echo, but they took all the original trilogy and like made it into one single movie. And I think now people are excited about Star Wars again because it it felt right and it felt familiar. That's my long answer. <laughs> I, I follow you on that, and th- I think that's fair. I mean, I wasn't trying to be you know too too over the top critical of it, critical of it, um, but I do know that there. Sometimes there, it's kind of like the the fourth Indiana Jones where they try oh, to pull God. in too much familiarity and uh-huh. it just doesn't feel right. Oh, nostalgia is suffocating um, movies today. I, I completely buy into that idea. Like, I do not want to continually relive my childhood as much as I might think on a given day that that's what I want. That's not what I really want. I want to grow up and move forward. Um, and so, I think for many people, Force Awakens worked because it it felt like right from a filmmaking perspective. You know, it used a lot of traditional special effects. Um, you know, puppetry and robots and stuff that we actually loved about the old Star Wars movies. Um, um, but it lacked a little bit of originality. Now, that's kind of where we you know, get to the Force, uh, or not the Force Awakens, The Last Jedi, which really revolutionized and threw out uh, all the old Star Wars tropes. And that has had a mixed reaction from fans. So it turns out people, people say they don't want constant nostalgia, but then when you throw out nostalgia, they're like, give us our nostalgia back. That sounds exactly like the American electorate. I think you have completely <laughs> nailed it. Yeah, I mean nobody ever knows what they want, right? They say they want one thing and then they they you know they relax. They they go back to their old ways and they want the other thing. That's that's how you get Tea Party waves, that's how you get Trump, that's how you get Obama. It's just the American electorate and and consumers don't know what they want and we're always trying to figure it out. That that is the the God's honest truth. So what so what should we be looking for as far as what is what is unveiling in this in this newest trilogy? So when I go to watch um, the Last Jedi, I can keep an eye on the the, the political undertones or, or what what we're trying to see now that we're in a post Obama uh, modern society. Does that come through at all in uh, in this series? Okay, so in terms of just the politics of the Last Jedi, um, I'm going to keep this kind of vague and non-spoilery for you, but um, I think this is all all good. Yeah, I think this is all kind of good information for going into it. So, the politics of this movie, um, people have been discussing. I think two major things. One, diversity. Um, this movie is incredibly diverse. The, the the resistance and the Rebel Alliance in this movie um, are incredibly colorful. People of color are front and center in this movie in a way that has never really been. In the case of Star Wars, mostly just as a result of the times. You know, the original trilogy was made in the 70s and 80s. Um, you know, folks of color did not have uh, huge opportunities to get into movies. Um, and so today, you know, this movie gets made, and you know, people of color are, are everywhere. And and you know, you know, white characters are are kind of you know, I guess like just it's fair representation. Everybody's in these movies, and so a lot of people have been sort of. Uh, I think losing their minds for for not so good reasons about this because they're like, well, you know, there weren't black people in the original Star Wars movies. Why are they suddenly everywhere here? And you know, it's it's you know, it's just political correctness. And I'm just going, no, it's not. It's just 2017. You can't you can't not cast people of color in a movie today for for continuity. That's not acceptable. Um, so there's a, a huge change here. And even the bad guys in this movie, the First Order, they are colorful as well. It's not just a bunch of white guys, you know, kind of dressed up in these neo-Nazi outfits. Um, you know, it's just it's just kind of 
2017-ism, not necessarily, you know, progressivism in movies. So it's well cast, it's balanced, it's really cool. It actually feels like we are, uh, you know, in the times of Star Wars in a way. Um, The other thing about this movie that's very political uh, is it sort of takes a pretty direct stab at the rich and the upper classes, Um, but in a way that I think you, uh, a liberty-loving person, might really enjoy. Um, they, They, in this movie, they knock... Uh, the rich as being the perpetuators of war and suffering in the galaxy. Now, they don't sort of take a direct jab at like capitalism per se, but weapons dealing. Um, One of your characters, Rose, says, you know, I'm going to show you who the worst people in the galaxy are. And then we see weapons traders uh, and they're incredibly rich. They drink champagne out of little champagne flutes uh, and they watch, you know, (laughs) like uh, like horse races, kind of like like the Kentucky Derby, that kind of thing. And you know, what you see is sort of a military industrial complex that that governs the galaxy where people get rich off of conflict. And you have characters who look at this and they they're like, well, you know, this is this is the the machine of war driving us on. And then, you know, one guy, you know, points out that this is this is just sort of the way that the world works. Um, phony wars and phony sides. The light side's not real. The dark side's not real. The empire's not real. The rebel alliance isn't real. It's all a business to a couple of of really rich people. And conservatives who have watched these movies have kind of recoiled against that and been like, oh, it's a, it's a criticism of capitalism. And, you know, I, as sort of a libertarian, I'm, I'm looking at that and going like, oh, I don't, I don't support the military industrial complex. <laughs> do, do you? I mean, I, I'm curious kind of what you think of that based off my description. Well, that's definitely something to, to, to check out because I think that that is exactly the kind of topic that I have seen in, 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 in recent months that I think is bringing the modern progressive back into a more classical liberal uh, idea when you start talking about not only the military, but the power amassed at the executive under Obama that is now the power that Trump wields. And people are kind of saying, okay, well, wait a second. Maybe maybe all of this wasn't okay. Yeah. And you know, so I, th- I think that'd be very interesting to see how that, how that does play out if, if we can kind of bring the more liberal and, and libertarian ideas at least a little closer to home. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I mean, we we often converge in ways that we just sort of don't expect to. And because things have become so polarized, we don't even see where we have very clear common ground. You know, progressives have sort of looked at The Last Jedi as a huge statement against capitalism. But what it was, was a statement against profiting off the suffering uh, of people and the profiting off of war. Um, that's something that libertarians absolutely agree with. But because libertarians are so staunchly supportive of free market ideas, there's been, you know, like kind of like Ben Shapiro has, you know, you know, lashed out against The Last Jedi as being anti-capitalism free market, but it's against, you know, the, the war machine. We, <laughs> we're not supposed to support the war machine. So we have a lot in common um, with modern day progressives on this. We just sort of need to, to see it for what it is, which is an area where we can come together. Man, I, I absolutely love it, and I appreciate um, I appreciate your insight. I think this was an awesome primer. I'm probably going to go back and listen to this three times myself. Um, <laughs> you, you, you drop names like I knew who you were talking about in the series, and um, but but that gives me a good place to start to go back and, and rewatch everything 
with a little bit different perspective being that, you know, we're both kind of political junkies. So I think, well, uh, uh, I'll really appreciate that. Absolutely, Kevin. Well, it was really nice talking to you. And um, I'm always happy to uh, be someone's quote unquote Star Wars expert. Uh, me and the rest of uh, me and the rest of the millennial generation are Star Wars experts. But it's uh, um, always, always fun to talk to you. Oh, a- absolutely. And so where um, I will put all the links in the show notes, but what is going on with uh, Beltwell Banthas, obviously the the source for everything Star Wars. Uh, yeah, so- and, and also let me know what's going on with Young Voices. Yeah, so Beltway Banthas is my Star Wars and politics podcast. On a weekly basis, we talk about um, the politics of these movies, and we dissect them uh, with guests from the world of Star Wars and the world of politics to try to understand it uh, a little bit better. Um, you can find us on www.beltwaybanthas.com. And I also serve as the spokesperson for a nonprofit in D.C. called Young Voices, where we work with young libertarian pundits and policy writers on getting themselves into the media. So if you are a libertarian blog, who wants to take that next step into you know being a serious writer and actually get published in an outlet? Uh, we help you make that step, and we also help you get from there then to television and radio. So that's my uh, that's my day job. I love doing it, and um, you know you can find more about us at www.youngvoicesadvocates.com. Awesome. I, I appreciate it, Stephen. And I, I do actually appreciate you taking the time to come on to this uh, new budding show because I have seen you all over all kinds of Fox affiliates and national television programs. So uh, thanks for remembering the little guy. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's been a weird and wild ride, Kevin. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> awesome, man. Well, uh, I hope you have a, a very happy uh, uh, start to 2018 and we'll, uh, we'll have to do a sequel to this show uh, sometime soon. I can't wait. Tell me when you see the movie and let's talk again. Sounds like a plan. Thank you, sir.